Okay, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Taro Mia, Executive Director of Tech by Gamespace and also my own uh, indie game developer. Um, one of the main things that we do here at Tech by Gamespace, it's one of the uh, largest um, game developer, uh, like game developer, game maker community uh, in the uh, capital region of New York, which is not in New York City, but in upstate New York of all places. <laughs> um, <laughs> important to clarify because a lot of people seems to be confused between those two. Anyways, um, but yeah, uh, we're a co-working space, uh, a community and an educational hub as well on uh, anything game making related. Um, pretty much those are all three things that we do, um, including you know managing uh, an office space for uh, developers and enthusiasts to work in, as well as conduct a lot of events to um, encourage the development process, encourage like encourage and educate the development process, really empower and kind of bring awareness to all sorts of uh, game makers around our area and um, and the education side to uh, basically teach wide range of people from kids to elderly on um, making digital applications, obviously mostly focused on games. Um, but uh, yeah, we teach a wide range of stuff. I'm sure uh, Frederica will go into more detail on that last part as she is the education coordinator of Tech Game Gamespace. Mm -hmm. So Frederica, you can go now. Okay. Um, yeah. Hello, I'm uh, Frederica Edgington Giordano. I'm the education coordinator. I've been volunteering with the Tech Valley Game Space for about two and a half years now. I've uh, I'm currently responsible for the Orbit Mentorship Program, where uh, which is a set of um, meeting groups that uh, cover different topics. I'm personally responsible for the beginner game design and digital storytelling. Um, groups. There's also the game art, um, the 3D intermediate game de development, game design uh, group, which Taro actually runs. Um, and uh, there's VR and diversity in games. I also help uh, run the, uh, well, responsible for the lesson night, which is a monthly uh, lesson that uh, covers topics on di different aspects of game development. I um, so a lot of the material actually from our previous lesson nights um, is on our website. If you go to techvalleygamespace.com and click on the learn link, uh, the page will, will have all kinds of tutorials now. It's actually quite full. So I definitely, if you're looking to learn something about um, game development or game creation in general, that's a good place to go. Uh, thanks for that's posting awesome. the link there. <laughs> Um, we, <laughs> I'm actually um, a hobbyist game developer. I do it for, for fun. I, I work as a quality assurance analyst at a local uh, company called uh, Transfinder. Uh, so I'm not really, I'm not professionally into games, but I work uh, and I don't really actually do development for my career, but uh, this is sort of an, a second side career I'm doing <laughs> as sort of a volunteer. Uh, not surprisingly, a good number of us in the community, myself included, like uh, at best have like some slight experience in working in the professional industry, but most of us are like kind of doing it on our own time, on our own thing. Um, like I, for example, have only interned in one professional game, three months of experience. So that's the most I have. And, you know, still I managed to make like the, uh, I well, your internet's coming on a bit. Oh, yeah. Carl, can so, you say hmm? Did I yeah, out? your voice is just coming. Yeah, it's just coming in and out really a lot. I'm sorry. That's uh, strange. It seems to have stabilized a bit. Okay, no, I was saying um, that, you know, a lot of us in the community kind of do our own thing at our own time. Uh, not, not, some of us have professional experience. A lot of us do not, uh, myself yeah. included. I only have like three months of professional experience. And that's it. And do you think that's pretty common among indies, especially? 
It's a good question. Um, I think most indies uh, that would be true. Um, surely from, I believe in the numbers game area of things, um, because, you know, a lot of there, there's inevitably going to be more people that wants to make games and there are actual professional game studios to be hired in. But, you know, it's, uh, it's become sort of like the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a rockstar method, uh, rockstar. Um, I mean, like kind of like a, your own method of expressing yourself nowadays. Um, so, yeah. I, I also think that a lot of students, they, when it's very easy to get discouraged at the job market, right. like even entry level, even entry level jobs, however few of them there are, even those tend to ask for years of experience, which is really doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and so a lot of, uh, I, I know a lot of students who are seriously thinking about going indie just to, I guess, build up those years of experience. Um, yeah. I think there already has been a couple of articles out there, but I will admit that um, the probability of making it big as an indie is ridiculously small. Uh, it is pretty yeah. much a lottery. Um, and despite that, uh, I will say I'm going to encourage as many people as possible to, you know, uh, if you really want to make games and you're finding it hard to get into the game industry, to definitely um, to definitely uh, get into making your own games, uh, make a lot of them, uh, is my opinion on that. Um, but I'm not going to... A lot of know, them sugar... rather than one big one. Right. <laughs> but I'm not going to yeah. sugarcoat it either in saying that, um, you know, is it a viable way of living? No, I don't personally uh, think that's going to be true for the grand majority of the people. So with yeah, that in mind, it's do, not sustainable. Yeah, do look for a side job to make sure that you have a sustainable career path. And like even uh, even some indies are like actually uh, hired in the professional development realm. Obviously, they need to have some sort of negotiation power to be able to say like, hey, I want to be able to work on my own thing. Uh, and there are some companies that do uh, allow for that. So pay attention. Feel free to ask those kind of questions. Uh, it's normal. Um, and you may or may not get a good answer, but always keep that in mind. And, so I wanted and, to ask. Oh, no. I'll let you talk. <laughs> oh, another thing I'd like to add, um, based on my obser observations from from our group, is some being an indie can give you that kind of experience. And you'll we've we've had at least one person who really got a, a really good resume because they'd worked on their own for a while. Um, John um, Cesare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with uh, with Slap Friends, um, he's he's doing pretty well um, for hey. working professionally, not directly with games, but more like simulations, but still mm -hmm. uh, VR simulations. So mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, so I wanted to ask how I noticed the language that you guys use when promoting your group. You always say game maker instead of game developer. Can you talk a little bit about that decision? Hmm. Um. <laughs> Yeah. So part of um, our organization is about uh, demystifying the game development process for the general public. Um, I think there is some uh, vocabulary differences between uh, not just, you know, what the public thinks versus uh, what the game development say, industry says. But there's also a difference between arguably how uh, Europe defines what game developers are and the US defines what game developers are. So um, to really avoid that problem, uh, we've been using the term game maker, which is, you know, which we believe uh, people are much more likely to interpret as, oh, that includes digital artists, that includes board game uh, developers, that includes um, musicians, musicians? Yeah. <laughs> sound designers, um, obviously programmers, um, basically everyone <laughs> in between. Mm -hmm. We are yeah, the IGDA. We sorry. Uh, I was just going to say elaborate on that, which is the with the IGDA. We have student chapters, and many of them call themselves game developer clubs, mm -hmm. and kind of modeling after GDC, which is, calls itself the Game Developers Conference, and they 
always like both groups they run into the problem of trying to communicate to people like no yeah i know the word developer is in there but it's not just programmers and like that's a really common uh hurdle that a lot of these groups run into mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah language is always the biggest problem in that was there like anything you wanted to add to that frederica Great. We, well, I think it's one of the reasons we shifted our languages because we'd say game development is for everyone and it'd be people were like, well, I don't know how to program and um, you know, we, we want to make it seem more friendly and um, open to everyone in the community. So we switched mm-hmm. to that. I also believe that, yeah, I also believe that um, a lot of us we're working on switching up our language in regards to like how we present ourselves um, in the sense that like a lot of people have a specific impression of game develop or when we call, talk about uh, video games specifically, um, like that would mean multiple or the, the, the general public, the way things are being advertised would interpret it as like, you know, either this whole FPS power fantasy area or you know if they're particularly old school like you know atari to nes snes level of pixel art um era games and obviously this is i'm just talking from what we observe from what the, uh how we presented ourselves from the general public obviously everyone here uh in discord knows there's a lot more in between in there there's mobile games there's facebook games there's card games there's uh you know, there's Nintendo. <laughs> it's like there, there's been a whole lot of progress in uh, the m- not just the game industry, but also in the indie level as well with like stuff about political games, um, stuff about like narrative games and so forth. And um, yeah, we've been working pretty hard on making sure that uh, how we present ourselves, one, all of those count. Like all of those are important to uh, the game making culture. And two, that, um, you know, that that is an avenue, uh, rather, that is a genuine avenue for people that are even like kind of remotely interested in uh, at least playing, if not actually making uh, games, to kind of understand that there are all these other avenues on. Uh, how to express themselves because worst case scenario if you know if we teach them all these sort of things and they're not as near they realize they're not as interested in making games as they originally thought like at least they're coming back with some skill sets uh, where they're like oh these are some things that I can use outside of you know the game uh, the game industry that is usable in other contexts as well. Yeah, and since you, uh, one of your goals is to uh, do a lot of outreach and education to people who may not be steeped in games as the game, the existing game dev community might be, mm-hmm. and all these problems are really a high priority for you guys. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about the co-working space that you run. Uh, so when I was a student, I did not know what a co-working space even was. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to describe it for anyone who might not be aware. Uh, so it, am, am I correct when I say that it's basically just a big office space where you rent space to companies and individuals who want to work in an office with other game developers so that they don't have to work at home, for example? That's that's not that far off. Um, it is a collaborative effort at renting a space Uh, office space and sharing it uh, with other co-workers uh, to be able to develop any uh, any sort of projects that you have uh, digital or otherwise in particular we're inside we're housed inside a makerspace so uh, the aforementioned slap friends uh, was created because uh, at we we had at the space that we were in um, sewing machines and electronic booths uh, which proved to be an excellent location to create customized controllers. So it's really a location where like all these coworkers can 
uh, share the pool their resources and um, you know put to, and have enough well whether it be money or um, attendance or whatever uh, have enough resources to be able to provide um, what is essential for general office work whether it be internet printers um, 3d printers that kind of stuff um so how does the business model work so it's like you rent per desk for example uh, and then all that money gets pulled together to pay for the larger rent that the whole group is uh, to, to afford the space so we have a couple of different tiers uh some which is just more community tiers and others which are more about actually being able to rent space tier um but uh basically when you pay for the uh, top tier membership fee that uh which is only 50 dollars on our location uh basically that lets that gives you access to any particular location that you feel like basically there's a bunch of tables around and uh any anyone can sit anywhere on said tables and utilize it as they need um electricity and the internet does come free with that uh we do have there's a couple of other higher tiers that the makerspace where where partnerships with the makerspace the makerspace has that are uh that gives you access to more devices than that but yeah generally speaking anyone can use any particular location uh and work there um there's obviously because it is a makerspace and things get very loud uh there's obviously mm -hmm. some uh pockets that are preferred location because it's quiet <laughs> But yeah, it's and how did uh, is the whole group the Tech Valley Game Space is that registered as a nonprofit? The Tech Valley Game Space, we're yes, we're registered as a nonprofit yeah. at least in New York State. Yeah, we're in the process so of getting a five hundred one c three. Nice. Um, I mean, I will say, and, like, this was just something yeah. that Jamie and I. Um, it was actually largely Jamie's idea, but uh, Jamie Stevenson and I just said, it'll be nice to have this. And uh, then Jamie went the full effort of actually pulling, finding an office and pulling this together real quick. So um, it's it's kind of weird for me to say, but it was just, it's really a grassroots effort where we're just like, we want a game development community here. I mean, you know, we have a few game companies, some of them big names, some of them much lesser named, um, but there's not like a really good centralized location to have them meet and converse with each other. So um, we mm -hmm. try to create a hub for that. Uh, and what are some of, so you, the, the co-working space itself, has that existed for two years by now? Or is it separate from the rest of the group? No, the co-working space has existed, I think, three and a half years already. Oh, nice. Yeah. And what are some of the what are some of the more noteworthy com companies that have or even individuals who have rented some space from there? Just um... to give us an idea of your community. We do have a couple of different people that are renting from it, some from First Playable. Um, there was talks about having Catapult Games, which is another indie company for making a VR game, uh, looking into renting that space. Um, I will say uh, because of the number of supplies the Makerspace has versus what, we per what our services are capable of offering, there's probably more under our makerspace right now. Um, I think immediately that comes to my mind is Velen Studios and First Playable. Uh, Velen Studios, which was founded by the two brothers who uh, created Vicarious Visions. Um, but uh, yeah, none that immediately comes to my mind. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, do you have uh, WB Games New York visited once too? I don't remember if they actually bought a membership or not. Nice. I have a membership as well. Hmm. 
for them renting from somewhere in in the building as well or i don't remember if they had specifically a membership with us or with the, the center of gravity but yeah center of gravity is the makerspace by the way um so can you talk a bit more about the some of the events that you put on it sounds like education is a big part of what you guys do yeah, and definitely. you already mentioned there's a monthly workshop that you post uh, like archives of on your site. Lesson night. Uh, is there... Yes, yeah, so lesson night. That's actually, we, we put out uh, basically a, a Google form. People suggest topics and we find uh, instructors for those topics. Um, and every third Wednesday, we, we basically, we, we have a poll. Um, every third, uh, third Wednesday, we have a lesson night. We announce the next lesson night after for the, for that night for the for the next mm -hmm. month. Uh, so it's it's very much based on what the community has asked for and what we're able to find. And a lot of it's just you know people donating their time, honestly. So th that's uh, yeah, that's that's lesson night. And that's kind of one of our oldest. Uh, I, I think that's our oldest uh, educational program on in and of itself. Right. Um, Orbit program is about a little over a year old now. And that's, uh, so we used to have all just Wednesday night events essentially for, for the most part that was dominating. Um, but the beginner game design is um, for all ages. Um, uh, then let's see, let me get, see if I get this correct. Um, game art is the second Thursday. Um, the uh, Fourth, so that's just topics in game art that are taught by uh, one of our, um, a member of our community uh, and a member of our board as well, Jason Harlow. Uh, then there's um, uh, 3D game development, 3D intermediate game development. Uh, that's the Thursday, right? Because third, yeah. Um, we have a diversity in games, which is every third Sunday. Um, and um, digital storytelling, which is every second Sunday, and VR, which is every third Saturday. Uh, mm -hmm. So we have we have a lot of uh, time wow. during the month uh, devoted to just teaching um, different topics. You can learn, um, and also if you have a topic, if you're in our in the area and you have a topic you want to teach, you can also suggest you put yourself forward for the lesson night or for like an orbit group as well. We're always, you know, interested in getting more mentors and more more material and content for for our community. I will say um, as a quick aside, um, from experience, we've discovered that uh, developing a community, these educational programs has been uh, easily the best and the most well attended uh, classes. So uh, if you're also looking into creating your own community in your local area, uh, for whatever reason, I would highly recommend looking for uh, any sort of talks or educational material uh, that, you know, people uh, that you think people will find enriching. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah. And you don't necessarily have to be too, I mean, our lesson night was sort of a one-off kind of beginner introduction fa fairly frequently, though sometimes we'd build off and have series like Dara has a beginner um, programming and then there's an intermediate programming and both of those are two parts. So you can really learn a lot of programming if you're not already familiar. And I believe that's all in Unity, um, working with Unity. But we so the but the orbit program was sort of an expansion of that, and just because it was very popular, we did get a lot of positive response mm -hmm. and stuff. <laughs> That's neat. And what kind of uh, an audience do you typically get for these things? It sounds like it's pretty mixed, but it doesn't. Does it tend to lean towards like student age people, or does it tend to be kind of all over the place? all over the place depending yeah. on we, we we that's sort of what what our audience that's is neat. we want to have we, we want to be a very inclusive space we want to like in, invite a lot of people into, into the space into game development or game making in general so we've we've opened up i mean some of it we have some age restrictions just because certain skill level sets just aren't going to be there if you're too young but for, like if you get a middle schooler for example uh that a might middle be schooler young. that would be 
them, uh, but for, for beginner game design, I, I take uh, kids as young as uh, nine years old generally. And in special cases, you know, if somebody's particularly advanced, we'll we'll let them in it anyway, um, just because we we want to include as many people as possible. Um, I've also been looking into like reach going down to even like um, much more uh, like trying to work with younger. Younger, younger kids, um, possibly, you know, working with Scratch. We've we've partnered with other organizations as well. So yeah, it's frequently we we have a, a lot of adults, um, not beyond college age, I would say. Um, people who are interested in making their own games, trying to try try out something new later in life. Some sometimes it's we don't get as many students as we'd like, actually, but we'd definitely like more. So if, uh, if you're at RPI or if you're at in the capital region and you're a student, we'd love to see you. <laughs> so I wanted to ask a bit more about, I guess, your personal work, like both to the both of you. Um, like you, you, you mentioned that I think did both of you say you were hobbyists, like you, you kind of call yourself hobbyist developers? Taro isn't. <laughs> Taro, Taro. <laughs> yeah. And so I was just curious about like what little projects you may have worked on by now, uh, even if it's kind of dumb or silly. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Would you like to start for a kind of Oh, okay, sure. Um, I'll, I'll, we'll leave the best for last then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I pr primarily work on um, uh, visual novels. Um, I, I tend to be rather technical, so I, I also like to program, you know, in my spare time, which is fun, but uh, so it's kind of fun to program. I like programming in, in Python, so, and RenPy uses Python. Uh, that's the game engine I use. Um, so it's, a, it's kind of a fun creative outlet for me, um, sort of a, a technical, but also creative outlet, which is really a lot of fun. So I tend to do stories. I've made a, a proceed, a, a game which procedurally generates sort of planet planetary conditions it's called planetary data um, it's sort of a play off of the idea that you can send an away team to any planet uh, in the start you know like in Star Trek or whatever and you don't need a spacesuit or ever anything and I just keep having the away teams die in creative ways I'm going to be building off that uh, some more to make it more educational since um, when I was play testing at the interactive showcase um, that seems to be what people were asking for um, I've also done some, I, I generally try to do a lot of game jams. Um, the planetary data was uh, from Pro Proc Jam a few few years ago. I've, so I, I like to tell stories for the most part through like interactive fiction. Um, that sounds really fun. Yeah, um, it is a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds fun to work on. <laughs> I highly recommend <laughs> oh, it's so much checking them out. Uh, they're great. Uh, if they are comedies, that is, they're often very <laughs> very funny uh and yeah. like there are a few more like i'd argue kind of dramatic um vi visual novels and, uh that Frederica has created as well as obviously a couple of um quick prototypes but uh yeah th uh, those are really good too um was it yeah waiting I did for sleep was like oh. the really big one i recall I created it for um, one day jam, which was uh, a, a game jam, which was, I thought it was a really neat idea was trying, they were trying to raise money for a group in the UK that was helping uh, uh, trans individuals with their, with their health, with their healthcare, pay for their healthcare, because they tend to be not always in this, they tend to be in a, you know, a very mobile population. So they don't get really fit in very well with the uh, national health service. Um, uh, and don't quite get the care they they need. Um, so they were raised. They were, there was it was a created. So they asked people to create a game to be put into a bundle. And waiting for sleep was sort of this. Uh, it's a game about insomnia and how to deal with insomnia, which is a little bit different than some of the stuff I've made, which is more you know fiction and sometimes comedic. <laughs> that sounds pretty refreshing <laughs> <laughs> thanks uh i guess i'll go next uh sure. so the games i make so i also make a lot of game jam games as Rodrika pointed out 
Um, I have, so, so <clears throat> I'll go through, uh, I've made like over 30 plus games, but um, I'm going to go through the highlights. Uh, so the Recursive Dollhouse is one that I made for Ludum Dari 37 and took number, uh, number one in innovation. So that was a fun experience. Uh, the Recursive Dollhouse, as the name implies, is about a dollhouse inside a dollhouse inside a dollhouse, and you just jump between. Uh, your character kind of resizes to shrink to the size of the dollhouse that they're entering into. So you can just <laughs> jump into more and more dollhouses that are embedded inside dollhouses, and it just keeps on going. It's basically a puzzle game. Uh, there's a lot of keys and doors that you have to find and access. Um, another one that comes to my mind is Suddenly Thousands, which is a uh, which took number one for Bacon Game Jam. I don't remember which year it was, um, but that one um, is a game where I took as many free models as I can find on Unity and threw it in a Pikmin-like game where like, you can recruit these people and you need a number of people to kind of like push blocks or activate switches. Um, but when they die, they permanently die. And you you have to uh, really manage uh, how many people you can uh, recruit before they kind of go off on their own. Um, but the the key mechanic in the game is that everyone uh, everyone basically has the same controller script. So like if you tell them to move left, then any characters that are recruited will move left, but at completely different speeds. So like a lot of it is like. They're all doing the same thing, but it's like herding cats where everyone's proceeding at completely different speeds and that with completely different jump heights. So you have to kind of like figure out a way to manage which character has the best stat to be able to overcome certain obstacles and be able to pick and choose what's necessary to get to the next location. So that's another puzzle game that I made. Um, I did produce a mobile game called Not a Clone. Um, which, uh, and that one's available for uh, both iPhone, ironically, and uh, Android. I say ironically because um, the game was originally, the intent behind the game was to make fun of the App Store. So um, it's a game where you, it's a WarioWare-like game where you end up playing a lot of clones. Um, and many of them are clear, obvious montages to uh, other liked and disliked games out there <laughs> and uh, at the time anyways it's fairly old by now uh, at the time and you just kind of play through them and then uh, there's a store where you can buy more games and it ends up being the same clones that you've already played that's pretty neat i remember you working on that not a clone game yeah it is definitely out so you can get it now can I ask how well did it do, and also when did it release? I think it released on uh, November 2016. I might be okay, wrong. That sounds about right. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, it did not do as well as I hoped. Um, maybe we got like 10 or 20 uh, within the first two or three months, and then uh, it peters out entirely from there. Hmm. Yeah, uh, just, what, a typical uh, indie, just a typical yeah. indie thing. You, you just keep trudging through with more games that you can come up with. That That is the typical indie outcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was wondering if you had like any like top of mind post-mortem thoughts about that project. And, oh, like, okay, well, yeah. Right, well, um, I do think, so one thing that I did do pretty frequently was release a lot of screenshots on a weekly basis, uh, whether it be through social media and whatnot. Um, I'm starting to think that strategy is not working nearly as well as I hoped. Um, yeah. Uh, they do or maybe it only like... works as best for most visual games. Mm -hmm. Like if it's a visual heavy game, that strategy tends to work. And that's how you get a lot of games, a lot of indie games that are like made by people who are predominantly artists, mm -hmm. not quite programmers. So that, yeah. Yeah. I will say that I do think um, community building 
uh, I didn't realize it while working on it, but yeah, community building is a lot more important in the sense that like you can post a lot of your medium online, but you do need to follow up with any sort of comments as frequently as you can on said, uh, said forums and, and, or, um, you know, social media or whatever. And I think I, I could have done a little more on being more reactive and being back and forth with a couple of people that are actually interested in the screenshots that they're seeing. Obviously we had the, uh, we had the trouble of obviously displaying games that was clones of another game. So um, that really did not help on the community building side of things. Uh, but uh, you know, I think that could have been, um, when we talk about like community building, we mean like, you know, having some pre obvious regulars that are following what we're saying that are actually actively looking at, um, you know, the sort the of media fans. they're releasing. I think, the, I think that I could have been more responsive to those kind of people. Sounds like it's ultimately like a marketing problem mm -hmm. too. And if you think of dealing with passionate fans as part of your marketing, and that might have been not maybe it wasn't a super missed opportunity, but it might not have been leveraged as much as you could have. Mm -hmm. I do think also, um, I kind of so with Game Jam games, I often actually like to make incredibly weird and wacky experiments. So, like, if you're playing not a clone and you're like, oh, so this guy likes cloning a lot. The answer is not really. <laughs> I'm not very good at uh, cloning games, if anything. Uh, but, <laughs> I am, but I am good at figuring out what works in them. And that's usually what I like to focus on. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of out of questions. <laughs> 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 but I'm this is usually the time when I ask students to remember to ask questions if they have any. Right now, Sarah's the only one on my list. I see. I did want to uh, make a quick spiel. Um, uh -huh. You know, as mentioned earlier, the Tech Fire Game Space is a game making community. If you're looking for like uh, more. If you're looking to build a game community, uh, game making community, uh, and you just happen to be living in a relatively remote area, rather than like say the Seattle, San Francisco, the New York City, the usual uh, cities, um, you know there is hope. Um, on it, I mentioned earlier about how Jamie and I just kind of started by talking about it. And honestly, that's pretty much where it starts. Try to find a group of people that are really into the idea of, you know, let's create this hub of sharing game making ideas, um, you know, even pulling an office together, that kind of stuff. Um, when you do, and, you know, uh, and then, you know, kind of start a quick meeting with that set of group, like let's say for example, uh, via Facebook events, uh, we started with meetup um, and meetup just gather those kind of people, gather some ideas and you know, run with it. Uh, I think you'll be surprised at how many people are actually interested in the topic. And especially when you're able or when you're capable of keeping together a consistent schedule, we chose weekly uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that's the best schedule, but at least monthly is a good idea uh, to have a consistent schedule and like kind of build your network from there. Uh, you know, uh, it's possible. Yeah, I agree that consistency is a huge piece to any community, especially if you're trying to make it feel like a community. Like uh -huh. it's not just a bunch of people meeting up at some place a bunch of strangers like people who actually know each other and get along like the main way that that emerges is people seeing each other often uh -huh. and if having regular stuff is the main way to make that happen uh, -huh. <laughs> uh we kind of put paperwork last which was 
regrettable in some fashion or form. Was it? But, uh, yeah, it sounds like you said you're looking into becoming a 501c3 now, and I'm like, oh, this you applied, might yeah. be a little. We have applied, yeah. yeah. So, but anyways, I what I mean late. to say is, um, if paperwork is a concern, the few things that I personally would recommend looking into when going for community uh, building is a code of conduct, uh, which can be fairly short. There's a couple of uh, free examples out there, so I highly recommend searching for them. And pick and choose what you want. Um, and <laughs> if you, you are... Also, hmm? You can also check our code of conduct. We've got it on our website, so it's on the sidebar. We've got like a at least a four, uh, the front-facing version right. as well. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> um, so that's the code of conduct. Uh, I would pull a slogan together as well, um, some sort of theme that everyone can get behind. And after that, you know, if you really want to go for it, non uh, filing for nonprofit is also probably a good idea as well. We started with the state and then moved on to federal, which I think is necess the necessary steps anyways. But there's not really a whole lot that you have to do. Yeah, I was dealing with that recently. So like I work as a freelancer and so I had to set up my like an LLC with that and like you jump through similar hoops with the state government and the federal government. Uh, I realized that I made a mistake because I filed with the Secretary of State of Washington, but I also needed to independently file with the Department of Revenue of Washington. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and so I've been dealing with the Trying to clean up of that mess. <laughs> a lot of students probably won't realize this, but every state in the U.S. Is, has their own quirks. Um, yeah, if you're and looking for the state, hmm? the state itself has quirks within itself. Like, <laughs> you might have like separate departments uh, of the government don't talk to each other as much, and or local cities might have their own additional regulations that get to get. I, I realize long after the fact, after they created my LLC, that to register with the city of Seattle. And I'm like, oh man, so much registration. Uh, one thing I'd like to mention is sometimes it helps if you can get some kind of legal aid. If you're a student, sometimes your school yeah. will have that like available. That is so true. Like, a lot of universities offer uh, free services for that. Oh, well, you're sort of already paying for them in the tuition, I think, is, is the idea. But yeah, Included so it's free. <laughs> Yeah, so that's always something to check out. It can make, you know, save you a lot of headaches in the long run. Yeah, and I feel like every lawyer uh, always says, get a lawyer. And, um, yes. yeah, <laughs> and now now I really know. <laughs> I'm married to a lawyer, so yeah. <laughs> <sighs> uh, so uh, how about, can I ask the two of you how you got interested in games in the first place? Like making games? Good question. Um, mine is harder to figure out. Like, I, I was always obsessed, or always is the wrong word. Um, or as far as back as you can remember. <laughs> yeah, as far as back as I can remember. <laughs> probably within uh, middle school age range that I was obsessed with video games. Um, funny enough, uh, I'm a programmer, and I'm first to say I don't like programming, <laughs> uh, which uh -huh. is not the greatest resume material. <laughs> but um, anyways, uh, yeah, so I did learn programming after all, seeing that it was something, at least making video games was something that I thought was going to be interesting enough. And then every single research is like, oh, yeah, it, it's a huge struggle to uh, work in the game industry at all. But I do like it. Um, I think uh, the three months internship that I took was like a re real big kicker in, oh, I can not only make games, but I can actually enjoy it as well. So um, I would definitely say that it is, um, I'm sure most people in this special interest group already knows, but like it is very different from making games than it is playing them. But, you know, that's knowing is half the battle and uh, at least once I got down to it, I'm like, all right, I really want to re really dive into this. And so I got down, uh, 
learned Unity in one course and then never looked back. Nice. Uh, how about you, Frederica? How did you first get game development on your radar? Well, um, actually, when I was in college, I I, tell you, I I was a physics major, and I took a, a programming course. And I that su summer, I was talking to my my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, and he said, "Oh, you know, you could make you could you now that you know programming, you could make games." And I was like, it just blew my mind. Um, I didn't actually. Get, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was busy with you know studies for a while so you know physics wasn't exactly going to let, give me a lot of time to work on games but um late, but afterwards years later actually um i started going oh you know it would be kind of fun to make games i remember talking talking to patrick about that and thinking oh you know it would be fun to do that it would be really really cool to make something that was you know mine and 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 fun like and fun like that rather than you know technical um but uh so few years before about maybe a year or so before I, I uh, discovered Tech Valley Game Space, I started doing tutorials and um, Coursera courses. Um, there's a whole series of them on making games. Um, I think it's gotten a little harder to take the class, the full classes um, since then, but I was able to do some programming and, and, and try that out and work with, you know, Unity and other types of uh, game making tools. Um, and then we moved up to here in the capital region and I discovered Tech Valley Game Space. Um, and I took a class, we, we did a, one of the lesson nights actually. That's kind of what got me started on making, none of the games really gelled for me. No, I was like, I never really saw the kind of game I wanted to make in the tutorials I was doing. Um, but then we did during a lesson night where uh, Jamie Stevenson, the founder, um, was uh, he did a, a, a lesson night on RenPy, um, and I thought I said it just clicked for me, and I was like, "This, this is the kind of game I want to make." Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sort of interactive stories and interactive, like you know, the narratives and and that kind of approach to to game making. And I just uh, I made I I started making a game practically almost immediately after that. Um, lesson night um we did the interactive showcase that um i think the next interactive showcase or maybe the one afterwards i uh showcased it for the very first time very nervous i'd never showcased something creative i had made before and in, in that kind of fashion uh the interactive showcase is um basically once a month uh the last friday of the month we um let local game developers uh basically showcase their games, get feedback from the community, just random public, uh, uh, members of the public. So it's, it's really, it's really great. And, uh, actually Tara was one of the first play people to play one, play my, my new game based on, uh, the statement of Randolph Carter, which is a short story by HP Lovecraft. And, um, the critique was, you know, it was, it was very constructive. <laughs> 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 um, it was, it was very, he had some very he was he didn't necessarily like all of it and he had some very good constructive feedback to give that really right really really helped me out and really got me thinking about how I, how to approach this style of game so um, and that's how I got started making uh, visual novels and making games that were mine <laughs> did the feedback hurt oh it didn't it didn't hurt actually I I <laughs> tend to like um you know to the point feedback i don't like people to, you know just saying oh this is really nice <laughs> oh, <laughs> good good job no he, it was uh it was it was critical but it was very constructive and i i appreciated it a lot so i think mm -hmm. go on well i think it's, it's a very good thing to, to remind to, to remember um it's, it can be hard to say something that's critical of someone else's work but it you can try to find something constructive to to say it, it it's more beneficial than just saying oh you know it was nice it was good <laughs> a rule of thumb i have in game criticism is uh i need to find something positive in the game um before i provide any criticism of it and so uh anytime i have something to uh some feedback to provide to a game and i'm like the worst play tester in the world by the <laughs> way like i will find ways to 
fall off the world and that kind of stuff. I'm that jerk. Oh, um, you are so harsh, but, like, but it is good, good, very educational to watch you play a game. <laughs> but, um, you know, after after at least kind of forming an opinion and figuring out, okay, this was the intended play, this was not the intended play, so on and so forth. Um, I, I genuinely first seek for, like, is there anything positive that I can speak about for the game? And I don't do a very good job of starting with that first, but um, I, I do, at the very least, try to point out that that, that takes a significant strength before talking about here are the things I didn't quite like, um, and here's the reason why I didn't like it. So that's my approach in game criticism. Uh, I was going to say, like, I think a lot of people who have attended um, game jams like, say, Ludum Dare, where it's clearly oriented towards receiving feedback, um, would probably know the feeling of getting, your game is great or your game is bad and having absolutely no description whatsoever <laughs> beyond that. And, like, those are, uh, those are not at all useful. Please don't do that. Yeah, once you put up with completely useless feedback you start to really value the the more critical ones that are constructive right um i also thought it was interesting how frederica you said that you saw as you were getting into games you saw a lot of tutorials for like standard like the kind of the same old genres like probably platformer and so on yeah and they didn't really give off the air of like you know this isn't the kind of game that excited you uh, and then you saw Renpai, uh, and Renpai is uh, is that particularly specialized for interactive stories or for visual novels not? specifically? Also, point it's oh. also used for point and click adventures as well, which was kind of a, a love of mine back when I was yeah, a kid. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap <laughs> between the two. Um, but yeah, that just made me think about like as a group that tries to do a lot of outreach, get people interested in games, and also help them learn the craft. Diversity in tutorials. <laughs> it sounds like a really important thing. Yeah. So that it's not just, hey, hey, it's that way people feel like, yes, this is about our, like the tutorials can at least approach the full uh, breadth of the medium. And it's not just looking like, oh, it's a platformer workshop like it's a platform or group <laughs> or something like that <laughs> no that that's very true actually i when i was i remember when we were we were we were gonna go go to lesson night i was thinking you know i i don't know what visual novels are even i've never played one and um i i was i didn't think um it would be that that interesting but i just thought i'd try it and i think it's a good thing if you're if you're trying if you it's always good to try try things as well if you're if you mm -hmm. don't know a genre of games and just check it out and and you know just get outside your comfort zone sometimes sometimes you'll find what you're something you didn't know you were looking for i hadn't realized that i was looking for visual novels <laughs> yeah and for people planning a career in games i've I see it as a professional obligation to try as many different genres and types of games as you can. Mm -hmm. I remember one time when uh, Frederica was researching for, uh, so the last Ludum Dare was uh, combined two disparate genres that you normally wouldn't combine with each other. And so she was researching on Cookie Clicker because she wanted to make a HP Lovecraft based cookie clicker game <laughs> and then i had to poke her on the shoulder and tell her uh just to let you know there's a twist ending in cookie clicker <laughs> oh well i still made Major it spoilers <laughs> i still made it and it was it was fun and i've learned a bit about idle idle um idle games as well it's it's been an interesting process learning about that <laughs> Yeah, idle games are, believe it or not, a fantastic medium to tell a story. I, lo I love it. Whoa. <laughs> I consider that. <laughs> That's neat. I'm just, thinking, I'm just thinking about it now. Like, <laughs> cookie click, story based cookie clicker. <laughs> I mean, cookie clicker has a very distinct story in it. It's darkly humorous. Um, uh, there's a lot of 
jokes in there where you're like, wow, this world is turning from bad to worse. That's good to know. (laughs) (laughs) No one would suspect cookies. (laughs) The end of the world. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. (laughs) But yeah, um, I also made an idol game myself called Amanda Cluet. So I know a bit about it, but yeah, no, when I was doing, you know, a few research, on the topic as well I, that was like genuinely interesting to find what actually works well in that kind of genre and the one thing that i personally really liked about most idol games was the ridiculous narrative that escalates to absurd levels although amanda Kluet, ironically is not that it is a historical fiction about uh women's bowling rights <laughs> Cool, so we're just about out of time. We have a couple minutes left. Any parting thoughts? Any, want to clarify anything or even plug anything you want to plug? <laughs> anything uh, other than Tech Valley Game Space? I was going to say um, a game making stu- uh, community can be made anywhere. Um, whether you want to include uh, educational programs or uh, co-working programs or anything else um, obviously it is of your own choice but uh, really what's necessary to build a community is enthusiastic people and con- uh, regular consistency in your schedule uh, I really want to emphasize on that that anyone can do it it can even start from a bunch of college students recent or even recently out of college it's just a matter of enthusiasm and the energy to keep going yeah, and like you said earlier, don't let like lack of professional experiences discourage you either. Mm-hmm. A lot of beautiful um, things can come out of it too. I'd like to plug the fact that we uh, we actually stream our lesson nights. Yes, <laughs> I haven't that's mentioned true. it. Yes, you can Ooh. if you follow us on Twitch. Um, on we we uh, we will have it live, and also the since. If you have, since you have the a link to the website, you can actually on the learn page you can vote for top the topics as well. So it's open to everybody. Um, if you if you want to vote for the to- if you're interested in one of the topics on on our poll, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I will gladly link people to your streams when they start. <laughs> uh, is there a way to like say subscribe? Is there like a calendar that I can subscribe to from you guys? A newsletter you can subscribe on the website it's on the sidebar um that's good and uh yeah and i think you can also follow us on twitch as well and subscribe to us on youtube as well <laughs> but that's a little more delayed i think yeah i just want to like remind myself to retweet your stuff from our account <laughs> fantastic thank you <laughs> awesome i guess looks like we're all done it's three o'clock and we already had our closing thoughts. Uh, thanks for showing up. This was the first time we had two speakers at once. <laughs> <laughs> Paired, or a duo, rather. <laughs> cool. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Livio, for contacting me. Yeah, thanks for I having us. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Oh. Uh, I will upload the recording at some point, and it'll be added to our AMA archives, and then we can share it from there. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Very cool. Thank you. <laughs> also, if you have any people who are in the co-working space who are interested in speaking to our student community, let them know about this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are the kind of people you're looking for? Any? Because I know this well, Terrence isn't there. <laughs> literally, literally everyone <laughs> is. But but if uh, we haven't had, it's been a while since we've had like a. A hardcore programmer on the bus. Uh, Interesting. We, we recently had a producer for the first time, but we've only had one producer ever, so it'd be nice to get another one. Uh, some we we have musicians every now and then. It's been a little bit of a while since we had a, a, a sound person. Maybe we need to have another one online. Uh, art. It's also been a while since we've had artists like people who specialize in art. We've had quite a few generalists show up recently Uh Uh, 
yeah, it's pretty much literally we want everybody. And if there's a preference, it's always like, oh, we haven't had this in a while. <laughs> I ask our community. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can think of a few people um, that would fall under the artist and programmer spectrum. That'll be neat. Mm -hmm. uh, so thanks again. I'll let you guys get back to your Father's Day. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> See you later. See you, Olivia. See you. Thanks.